Welcome to episode number eight of Here, a podcast about the lives of the people at Luther College and the Decorah community. I am Pedro Dos Santos. I am your host and assistant professor of political science here at Luther College. Uh, today we have one of my former students. Uh, she's actually a graduate of, uh, of uh, Luther. She graduated last year, and she's just here visiting uh, in the spring for, for a day before she moved to Jordan. She's moving to Jordan for a job, uh, kind of exciting new experience for her. Uh, so I asked her to come in and talk a little bit about that uh, new experience. So Emily Senna, uh, she's actually my first student, really, my first assistant here. Uh, and we're going to talk on the, on, the, on the podcast, you're going to hear the story. Uh, you know, the very like, first few weeks of school here, my first year at Luther, uh, she said, like, I want to be your assistant, you know, and I didn't even, even know exactly what uh, I would do with an assistant at that point. So it's kind of a, kind of a fun story that way. So it's kind of cool to hear her, you know, talk about her new, ex- new adventures and new uh, uh, professional uh, uh, experiences after Luther. So, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about her childhood, a little bit about Luther, a little bit about this new, this new kind of uh, new phase for her. So uh, here it is, uh, Emily Senna. All right, so I have uh, Emily Senna here. Emily Senna is a recent graduate of Luther College, 2015. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then she's actually going on to a new adventure in Jordan in, in a few weeks. So uh, she visited campus uh, for a day today, so I asked her to uh, stop by the studio uh, so we can have a conversation. Hello, Emily. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. How yeah, are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Um, right, so Emily was one of my uh, grad, uh, graduate assistants, one of my undergraduate assistants here. I'm flattered that you think I could be a graduate yeah. assistant. <laughs> yeah, it's coming, right? <laughs> Maybe. Hopefully. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. So you know, she. I've been working with her for about. I worked with her for three years here at Luther, and uh, now she's going for greener pastures and more fun, exciting stuff. So. Um, yeah, I want to ask her about that stuff. Uh, so I want to start with one question. How many times did you wear a cast while you were with her? Oh, my God. Okay, I did not wear a cast that often. If you count the number of times I wore a brace, <laughs> it was definitely like seven, I think. <laughs> so at least one, average 1.5 a year? Yeah, there was only one semester that I didn't have to go to the ER. <laughs> there are a couple of semesters where it was multiple times, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. You know, in, in your defense, we didn't go to the ER in Chicago, we went to urgent no, care. No, we didn't. We went to urgent care, and my insurance was covered, and I brought my card with me, so yeah. you need to tell other students to bring their cards. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it, was a, it was a learning experience for me, too. I'll talk, we'll talk about this in a little bit, but I wanted to start with that. But, but really, you know, I want to start with the beginning. Where were you born? I was born in Park Ridge, Illinois. And I lived there with my mom and my dad and my younger sister and my brother until I was in second grade. And then we moved to Beaver Dam, Wisconsin, which mm-hmm. is where I grew up and where my parents still live. Nice. So how was that move? Second grade? Is, we already kind of have friends and whatnot, right? Well, I loved it. I mean, I was super excited. We were like, it's an adventure. We started packing up like months early. So our entire like house was filled with boxes and we just made forts everywhere. So your parents just made it exciting. Oh, my parents made it super exciting. We lost our cat like numerous times. It was great. And then I was a little bit disappointed when we moved because um, when I was living in Illinois, we had we lived in this massive subdivision um, where all of the backyards were connected and it was mostly new families that moved in. So I think there was a, probably a group of 25 kids in our neighborhood. And there was a stretch of like 10 houses that all had these kids in them and you could just run like up and down and then when we moved to our new um, place in Beaver Dam, it was actually mostly 
old elderly retired people that would be gone in the winter. Um, so whenever we would run around, um, the elderly people like wouldn't really know what to do with us. They're like, who are these Kids. tiny people running around making noise? And they wanted us to be in the house at like 6.30, 7 p.m. And my mom was like, oh, Lord, I can't handle this. Did, did, you know, as a kid, did you just think that that was normal, like that in the was normal, that we were going to have yeah. children where we went. And that, that uh, that's like exactly that. what I thought. I thought yeah. that like all people had children and like, except if you were really old, like my grandparents, but I thought that everybody who lived in every house probably had a kid or two at least, inside yeah, of it. At least one or two kids. Yeah. Maybe even three. Like Yeah, maybe yeah. even three like us. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so, and why did you move? Was it a parent's job? My or? dad got a job transfer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what, 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 what does your dad do? He works, um, okay, so currently he works for a company called Nericon, and it sounds really boring um, because what he does is he sells factory machinery to other factories. But um, I've learned a lot more about production lines than I ever thought I would know because my dad works for them and um, he has like been in a whole host of different types of businesses right now his company is pretty big there's several thousand employees but he ran his own business for a while too mm-hmm. so yeah he's experienced it all yeah so when he moved what, what, what kind of job was it this is kind of same it was idea, kind of the same thing, thing. um his, the office that he was working at in illinois was basically closing and the next closest office to us was in nino wisconsin mm-hmm. um and so some of the schools in the surrounding area were not super great so we ended up moving back to beaver dam which is actually where my mom grew up oh, okay. and she was like i there's no way i don't want to move back to beaver dam ever like that's i don't want to do that but then it turned out to be the most affordable area, and they thought that living near my grandparents would be good. So, uh-huh. is that where they where they still they still live there? They still live there, one point yeah. one miles away. Yeah. So, how big is Beaver then? It's like sixteen, seventeen thousand. So it's not a big, not a small place, no. but it's not a big place. Either. Yeah. Yeah. So, how how what's the closest uh, bigger city? Madison. It's yeah. like thirty five minutes away. Okay, so mm-hmm. it's not that bad either. No, it's so. not bad at all. So your mom just didn't want to go to Beaverdam anymore. It's like a. She just didn't want to like Beaverdam has this trend where not a ton of people go to college, and so a lot of the same people just end up living there and starting their own family. And my mom kind of wanted to break out of that. Yeah. And she did for a while, and then she didn't so <laughs> <laughs> and is she stay home or she she has she works too or? she worked until until we moved and then after we moved um she stayed at home with us until i was a freshman in high school um and then she is like the most organized person i know so she started her own organizational business called organized spaces and I used to hate it because she would have, like, decals for our van that she would stick on it and, like, would pick us up with these van, like, stickers. Big old, big Everyone would be like, why are you getting picked up in an organized spaces van? I'm like, that's my mom's company. <laughs> <laughs> but, and now, then, ever since I left for college, um, she's had a couple different jobs, and now she manages um, a women's health clinic in our hometown. So Cool, cool. So, uh, so she's kind of waiting for you guys to grow up a little bit and be less... Of, of chore. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. My brother required a little bit more work than she anticipated. Yeah. So that's what she tells me anyway. It might be me that needed the most yeah. work. Yeah, because you know, she waited for you to, yeah. to get a little bigger, right? So yeah, yeah, that's interesting. So how was growing up? Like, And remember, this is going to be broadcasted okay. on the internet, so anybody can listen to it. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. <laughs> no, because I, you know, we, we talked, you know, so Emily, as you know, we we went to a few places together. We we went, went to some conferences. She worked with me for a long time, so we always talk about you know family stuff. So she always shared me stories about her family, especially about her her siblings. And 
I don't know. Some of these are interesting. They're all funny. They're all interesting. <laughs> but I, I'm not sure if uh, everybody would like to hear them. <laughs> That's basically my Now they do want to hear them. <laughs> I want to hear them. But yeah, but I don't know if everybody wants. No, I don't know if your siblings would like it. Right? They might not like yeah, it. So. But, but we'll you know, see what comes out. I say, it's up to you, right? You, know, like, you, you, can, you can decide what, what should and should not be shared. But, but yeah, so how was growing up? Like, uh, So you're the oldest, right? Mm-hmm. I'm the oldest. Yeah. I have two younger siblings. They're pretty close in age. Um, we're all about two years apart, but my brother and sister are only one grade apart. Mm-hmm. So my parents were absolutely ecstatic that I graduated on time because all three of us were in school at the same time during my senior year. And they were like, no, that's not, you're going to do what you got to do. You got to finish. <laughs> get out of here. <laughs> you're not staying an extra semester, an extra day. Like, you got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah, so. that's funny. Um, so so you beaver in second grade. How? So how was school? It was good. I had a rough start to second grade. My first day, um, the girl whose locker was next to me accidentally slammed my pinky in her locker, and I got stuck outside, and I didn't know anybody. (laughs) So my first day of second grade in my new school, which is like halfway through the school year, um, my teacher came outside to find me like crying and like stuck in some other girl's locker that I didn't know. And then I didn't get to meet any of my classmates because I had to go to the ER. So everybody knew me as the locker girl. Really? Um, yeah, for the rest of second grade. They're like, that's the locker girl. And then I think it wore off by yeah. third grade. So Something else worse happened. You got a new class, you yeah. know. So. so so that was the was it, was it the first of the long string of visits to the ER? Or? That might have actually been the first, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I think that was my first time. Wow, yeah. okay. Yeah. So you got used to second it after Second grade, that, right? yeah. yeah, seven <laughs> years old. Yeah. That's, that's hilarious. So, But then after that, you kind of got, you know, friends and all that yeah I think it's easier to adjust to a new setting when you're younger and I also think it helped because while I didn't spend a significant amount of time in Beaver Dam prior to moving my grandparents did live there and we would frequently spend like a weekend or like a long weekend with them so some of the surroundings in the town were kind of familiar Mm -hmm. because it wasn't completely new right? no it wasn't totally foreign Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's fun that's good um so in school, what are you, were you like a, a nerd? Oh, I was a goody two-shoes. Goody, goody two-shoes, yeah. which is different than being a nerd, right? Goody two-shoes uh, is like yeah. following the rules. I was like a secret nerd. Like I really liked school, but not a lot of kids at my school like liked school, so mm-hmm. I didn't talk about it a lot. A lot of reading? And I like to read. That was my yeah. thing. Reading well, what was... What some of your favorite, like, you know... Oh, my God. Middle school books, grade school and middle school books? I don't even know. I got into this problem in elementary school where... Um, I'm just, I'm a fast reader. I don't really know why or how that happens, but my teachers would get really mad at me because, like, during quiet reading time, I would, like, finish the book that we were supposed to read, and they were like, Emily, like, you can't finish it. And I was like, well, this is quiet reading time, and, like, I read it, and they're like, you can't possibly have read that whole thing. And I was like, I did. So they would get mad at me, and on my report cards, they would be like, Emily's not listening to us, and she says that she's reading, and my mom was like, no, 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 like, she She reads really fast. (laughs) Like, that's what she does. So... I don't know. I went through, to give you an idea, I went through the first four Harry Potter books in one day. It just, I mean, I was holed up in my room. And like my mother did. would like slide food under the door. But yeah, so. That's funny. So that, that has to be tough being a good at two shoes of doing what you're supposed to do, which is reading, and then being called out by your teachers that you probably want to impress. Mm-hmm. by reading too fast how how did that, how did that was that conflictual at all i think that's why i wasn't like a nerd like i like to lay low because when i did like 
because my thought process at the time was like oh yeah like I read all this and it's really interesting and now I'm going to tell my teacher about it and she's like no like you're supposed to be in in elementary middle school you're supposed to be learning like how to read and like how to analyze like basic literature and how to infer certain things and you know and they were like my I think my teacher saw it as me trying to show off and like being disruptive and you know probably part of it was trying to be (laughs) show off but I legitimately was just trying to please my teachers and I think that they truly didn't think that I was finishing everything Uh I think they thought I skimmed through it but yeah so that was a struggle and then after that I kind of learned to like lay low I would still finish my reading way way ahead of time but I'd be quiet about it I would speculate with the rest of the class and (laughs) Yeah. I wonder what the slow people are thinking about, right? Yeah, I just like sit at your desk. <laughs> sit on my hands the sometimes slow, so you yeah. don't raise it. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. So you've always been like interested in stuff. Is there anything inter- specific that interests you? Or you kind of just read, a, you know, anything that was I like, read about anything. your age range? And all yeah, that? my grandma was a librarian. And so I think she kind of started it. Like whenever we would go over to her house, she would just bring us to the library for hours and so we would have nothing to do because back then like okay I say back then I don't really mean like way back in the day I mean it was the 90s it's not that but you know you didn't have like DVDs and stuff and libraries didn't have yeah it is back in the day it's like really before technology so all you could do at the library was read um and our library didn't have like movies or anything so and I just kind of took to it Mm -hmm. my grandma loves books and so it was a nice way to talk to her my brother hates sitting still. So. I was going to ask that. How about your siblings? They <laughs> yeah. just kind of went around. And- My sister likes reading too, but um, she – and she's good at reading. She just doesn't – like I would just read forever. Like if I could do that for the rest of my life, like I would just read. I don't even need to talk about it. I could just think about it in my head and I would still be fine. But my sister likes to read a book and then ponder it for a really long time and then have a discussion. And I would be like, oh, yeah, that was really good. What's the next book? So <laughs> – just cons- really consuming, right? Consuming, yeah, just re-consuming. You know, you know, yeah. Words. Binging. Basically. Yeah. 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 It's like Netflix, but... If, yeah, know, it's like reading. Netflix. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. So, so you know, that's, I'm, I'm thinking this kind of grade school, middle middle school, get to high school. What kind of things are you doing then? Like, you you know, you're doing other stuff too? Yeah. Extracurriculars, what are you doing? Yeah, okay, so I got to high school um, summer before... Um, I started high school, the cross country coach like randomly came to my house and was like somebody from um, the cross country team ran with you in middle school track and they like recommended you and like you should join it. And I was like, I don't even know anything about cross country. And so he sat with us, like my family for like an hour and explained to everything. He was a good recruiter. Um, And so I ended up doing cross country (laughs) for like three years. (laughs) I mean, what do you say? You run in the country. Yeah, that's what you do. And I was like, how do you, like, what do you mean, like, you run? He's like, well, I give you a schedule, and then we have different types of workouts, and then you run. And I was like, sure. Like, doesn't sound like you could get hurt, really, during that, and it doesn't really. You get to see things, you know. Yeah, you get to see things. And my parents are like, it is going to be good exercise for you. And I do think it's difficult. It would have been difficult later on to, like, find your way around a gym if nobody ever taught you how Uh to do that. So, in hindsight, I'm like especially glad for that reason that I ended up joining the team. But yeah, so I did cross country and then that, you know, kind of came with a mandatory track sign up in the spring. Mm-hmm. So I did three seasons of each of those and then my senior year I didn't do any sports. Mm-hmm. So just wanna concentrate on reading books? Yeah, mostly. And then I also like it had just gotten to be 
it was such a big time commitment and I got a stress fracture leading up to my junior year mm-hmm. and then I also developed bronchitis and so I had a pretty negative cross-country season during my junior year of high school and that kind of led into a not so great track season and I was like you know what I need to apply for colleges mm-hmm. this is a lot of I'm obviously never going to get a scholarship you haven't seen me run but it was fun <laughs> I won the team spirit award once so nice. I've seen your limp yeah, you yeah. have seen my limp. Yeah, yeah it comes out. Yeah, it's a very, very well. Uh, you can see that you're seasoned limper. It's well practiced. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, hopefully, there's a medal for that somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but so, so, um, so yeah. So you did uh, any trips to the ER? Yeah, a couple trips. Yeah. yeah. Um, my when I was in track, uh, somebody I really still to this day don't know how it happened. Somebody signed me up for pole vaulting. Um, and so I did two seasons of pole vaulting and at the end of my freshman season, I was so mad because, um, so my town's claim to fame is that, um, the movie Public Enemies, like the pivotal scene where Johnny Depp is like arrested in the hotel. That's in my hometown. So Johnny Depp was in town the same day as one of our qualifying track meets and because it was a qualifying meet, like you're supposed to stick as many people on an event as possible. So somebody thought that Emily, their derpy pole vaulter, should be signed up to compete in this meet. And I was angry because my whole family went to go see Johnny Depp. And what ended up happening was the meet was like super rainy and wet. And um, when it's like rainy and windy, you have to hold the crossbar up Um And then what oftentimes happens is that the crossbar gets knocked down and they didn't have enough helmets for all of us to wear. So I just like repeatedly got smacked in the head and like scratched on the face by this crossbar. And I got home that night and I like threw up and then they took me to the ER and it turns out I had a concussion because I had been whacked on the head so many times by a crossbar. And I was so mad at my family. I was like, you made me go to this track meet and all of you got to meet Johnny Depp. And now I have a concussion and, and it, I'm not allowed to watch TV. And it's like they're best friends with Johnny Depp now, right? Yeah, yeah they're besties. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> they're probably going to come to my sister's wedding, you know. <laughs> Oh, probably not, but that's funny. It's like almost like a Liz Lemon moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. So that was my that was my big ER trip. Nice. So, so and and music, right? You 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 do mm-hmm. some, you do some, some music. music stuff. So what, what did you do? Yeah, um, my parents signed me up for piano lessons uh, when I was seven. I think it was the within a couple months of moving to our new um, to Beaver Dam. And um, we ended up taking piano lessons from a lady that's two houses down from my grandma. And the lessons were 30 minutes every Wednesday. And I hated Wednesdays for a long time because we would have to go to CCD, which is like religion class, on Wednesdays too. So I would go to my grandma's for like an hour and a half after school and I would have my piano lesson and then I would have to go to CCD for like two hours. And then by the time we got home, it was like 9 p.m. and I would still have to do my homework. And I was just sitting like all afternoon and... I was a prickly pear on Wednesdays, but yeah, music is, it's, my family's very attached to music. Um, They wanted each of us to learn how to play an instrument because they thought it was, it's easier to appreciate it if you kind of know a little bit about the basics of, you know, notes and rhythm and. The thing you were strictly hoping you guys would start a band together? They might be. They because we all, in addition to piano, we each had to take another instrument as well. So, yeah. So we all started when we were seven. That was our that was our rule. And um, I 
although I would get frustrated with having my mother watch me practice sometimes, I did really enjoy it. So I ended up continuing it through Luther. So this is the longest I've gone without playing piano since I was like seven years old. Mm. So, so you play yeah. piano? Did you play? Some, so you say you played something else too? Uh, I took the viola in middle school and high school. And not many people know what the viola is, but it's like a violin, except it doesn't go as high and it plays in a different clef. It has a different name. And it has a different name, too. Yeah. yeah. Very important. Very I know important. that. Yeah. yeah. You're very knowledgeable. Yeah. yeah. And did you <laughs> sing, too? Uh, I sang, yeah. yeah. That was, I started in elementary school mostly to um, get out of um, this like awkward pseudo recess period my elementary school was like progressive so they had these weird periods but um I, yeah i sang mostly to get out of class and <laughs> then i liked singing too so nice nice yeah so so okay so high school you did track three years so senior you're not doing that mm-hmm. are you doing any kind of uh, music other extracurriculars yeah so i did starting in fourth grade i did choir again until i graduated college um and um in high school, I was also in Key Club, which is like the high school branch of the Kiwanis Club. Um, and I loved Key Club. I was president my senior year. And then I was in National Honor Society, which honestly was just mostly for the medal that you would get like after you finished. Yeah, because my parents wanted me to do it too. Is so. it a fancy medal? That- yeah, it's yeah. huge. It looks like an Olympic medal. Like if you wore that around, people would like probably stop and take a picture with you because they think you were famous it's <laughs> ridiculous so you, you still have it i still have it yeah i'm i mean it's at my parents house yeah. but yeah it was extremely shiny you could like check your makeup in it yeah. and everything you should, you should wear it once in a while should i should yeah. yeah just wear it to work yeah maybe i'd get a promotion a conversation <laughs> starter oh uh, yeah it is a conversation yeah. starter uh okay so then high school senior year you say you know you're all guys apply for for colleges so how was the process like, in a sense, like, how did you choose Luther? You know, what are some other options that you had? Why you choose Luther? Mm-hmm. I was very against Luther from the start because my dad went here. Mm-hmm. And part of it was because my dad talks about Luther all the time. And I was like, so, you know, as a teenager, you're like, well, obviously it can't be that great, Dad. Like, you must be exaggerating. And then part of it was just that I, like, wanted to forge my own path and be independent. And so um, we didn't really know how to apply for colleges. Um my dad and mom did both go to college, but back when they went to school, it was kind of just like, you applied to a school and it was whatever. And they both went a little bit later as well. So by the time I was sit down, to, like I sat down to apply, um, there we had received all these brochures about like applying for school and I had met with my guidance counselor. And so we were all like really apprehensive because I think people put so much pressure on you when you're in high school to like pick the perfect college for you and they make it seem like if you pick the wrong school it's going to be the end of your life and I'm like you know college is literally just another phase of your life like there's no such thing as a perfect school there are probably schools that are better for you than others but it's just like another phase of your life it's all about what you make of it so but we were not in that mindset when I was applying so I applied to 14 schools and then I also started getting well Maybe I shouldn't say this on the... I'll say it anyway. Okay. I can, I can edit it out if, 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 if it's needed. <laughs> I started receiving um, letters from schools that I had not applied to. And I was like, Mom, why do I have an acceptance <laughs> letter from, like, 
this university, which I never applied to. She's like, oh, that's because I applied to it for you. And I was like, I was like, mom, we already applied to 14 schools. And she's like, but you need backups. I'm like, we got 13 backups here. It's fine. So why did you want to say this? Just not to incriminate your mom? I did. Yeah, I didn't know of it. I didn't end up going to any of those schools. I I applied for the one that I got to do myself. I promise. But um, yeah. So we were like really paranoid about it, and then I thought we would be done with the stress. And then I realized you had to apply for scholarships. Mm. So my senior year was a little bit of a a hot mess but um did you you get accepted to most schools that you applied most schools there were a couple that i ended up getting waitlisted on and i didn't really want to stick around to find out what the answer was going to be um i decided really late that i was going to go to luther um i was trying to decide between gustavus luther and uw madison um and so we went to go tour luther one more time and i was just like you know my my dad wasn't allowed to come with me. He stayed at home because I wanted to make. Because he would would have been like, "Oh, this is how it used to be when I was." Here. Yeah, and then I would have been like, "No, I'm not going yeah. to Luther." Yeah. But I was just like, you know, it does seem like a really good place. It would give me the opportunity to, like, be involved with music and other clubs while still, you know, pursuing my academic interests, and um. Yeah, so I ended up choosing Luther on April 27th, and there's a May 1st deadline, so <laughs> it's a little bit of a late. Uh, the, at that point, did you did, have you come to the Luther like scholar scholar days or whatever? I didn't go none, to that. None no. of that stuff. So yeah. you haven't even come to do the auditions or anything. Like mm, that, uh, I did. Uh, I did audition for a music scholarship um, because that was going to be a deciding factor because. The music department here has tuition scholarships, and I was like, if I can get a decent chunk off my tuition for music, that would be, that'd be good. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we had received my scholarship packet and everything, but other than I had taken one tour and then I had come on campus for like two hours to do my piano audition, mm-hmm. um, and then yeah, other than that, I hadn't really set foot. I didn't. This is gonna sound weird. I didn't really want to meet my other classmates because I didn't want other people to sway my decision you know like I kind of just wanted to like look at it objectively that sounds weird and, like it does sound weird doesn't it but I didn't <laughs> yeah. want to have anything to do with the mean. other students so yeah. I was like you yeah. need to decide for yourself yeah. if you're gonna choose this coming, school yeah. it can't be based on other people yeah. so that's funny yeah it's a, it's a kind of a contradictory thing right it was yeah it, school was all about people school's all about people yeah, yeah. and I was especially Luther oh yeah, yeah. Luther's all about community yeah. so yeah, and That's I didn't funny. want anything to do with that community at first. I, was like, <laughs> I just want to learn. Don't send me a handwritten thank you note. Like I just want to look at this objectively. And <laughs> thank That's you, admissions funny. office. By the way, I do appreciate those handwritten thank you notes. <laughs> now we do, right? Now you know, we right? do. Back then, it was like a rebel. I know? secretly did inside, but yeah. I was like, "You're not gonna sway me." <laughs> you tried to convince yourself that that wasn't good. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Uh, okay, so freshman year, come in. Uh, so, you know, you, you automatically doing music stuff, right? So you already know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I guess you do auditions to know which uh, uh, choir is going to mm-hmm. be in, but you're doing the piano thing. The piano, yeah. Um, so you come in, are you already thinking of a major or are you kind of? Uh, so in the back of my head, I like always wanted to be a marine biologist because I love sharks. I think I probably read like almost every book about sharks that our library had and I have the 50th anniversary Shark Week DVD set which I still watch frequently (laughs) 
So I love them. I, and I thought, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm totally going to be a marine biologist. And then I'll go to UCSD for grad school. And I'm just going to be awesome. And I quickly realized that uh, you needed to be really good at bio in order to <laughs> do that. So, did you take bio for a semester? I did. Um, it was fine. You know, it wasn't good enough for me to be to, to, to major in You didn't it. think that, you know. I felt like if this was entry-level bio, I should cut my losses. Yeah. Like where well, you could at. probably do okay later on, but mm-hmm. yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. So, and then, yeah. so then... So that was your first semester already. So mm-hmm. gonna, that after that, you're semester. like, mm, yeah. What I do? And I wasn't sure about bio when I came in. I was kind of just thinking about it. So, yeah. But I had um, my Paideia teacher was um, Becky Bowman, freshman year, and mm-hmm. she was a poli sci teacher. And we studied the Arab Spring. Um, that was kind of our our um, independent the, theme. Yeah. yeah, that's what she chose to do. Um, and I really liked the way that she was teaching the class, and I found myself really engaged in the material. And so I was like, maybe I'll be a political science minor. Well, we don't have a minor. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I guess I have to be a major. And at that point in time, I had declared a history major because I was really loving um, my intro to African history with Professor Matisse. Um, so I ended up dropping my history major down to a minor so that I could major in political science. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I met Professor Chrisman at a random like networking event thing that we had here at Luther, and she was telling me about the international studies major, which at that point I didn't even know existed because I was the first class to graduate with it. Yeah, and um, I decided that I wanted to do IS too. Yeah, so So. become ended up being political science and IS, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you know, um, my first year here was a sophomore year. Okay. Right, and then mm-hmm. I think that's when you took global. That is when so, I took global. And I don't know if you remember this, but you came to talk really early on because you said you want to be, you know, uh, uh, um, my, uh, uh, you want to do research assistantship, mm-hmm. and you said like, I want to be a, a college professor. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to be a political science college professor. <laughs> and and I remember saying, oh, hold, hold on a minute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not that you can be it, but. I want to make sure you want to do this because it kind of, you know, it's, it's a long process. <laughs> it sucks. <laughs> no, I'm glad you did say so, that. Yeah, so I just, I just remember that very vividly because you were the f- first student just to come in and tell me, like, hey, I want to help you, you know. And that was one thing I was worried about coming in. I was like, am I going to be able to help get, you know, students to help me and all mm-hmm. that? And it ends up being actually pretty easy, you know, because I have a <laughs> lot of people like you that just come, hey, I want to do something. I was so excited when you showed up because I knew that most of the other professors weren't doing research. And I found out that um, Professor Bowman wasn't going to be staying during my spring semester. So I was like, no, what am I going to do? I want to do research. Um, So then I totally stalked your bio before you came. And then I made sure to take global and I think it was it was probably like three weeks into class, wasn't it? It was really early, yeah. I was just like, I want to do research with you. And you were like, Cool. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> and the best part of it, I had no idea what I was doing, too. And it was my first year teaching, and I didn't know what to do with students. So, I mean, and I had you go do a literature review and then work on my mm-hmm. – I just got done my, my PhD, so working on my on, on my bibliography to kind of update that. Yeah. Uh, but the, the, the interesting thing, and, and I don't want to say funny thing because it's not funny – but halfway through this, I had to leave, right? Yeah, you did. There's the whole thing. Like, yeah. My, my first year funny. here – and and your your first year kind of helping me out and mm-hmm. you know my first year having a student and my mom gets cancer in Brazil and I have to go back and help her 
And like there was this whole thing with like books that we had checked out. Oh yeah, and we couldn't find them. And then they turned out to be on the shelf. Yeah, and, and then, there was someone uh, in my office, but then someone in the shelf at the library. So it was this that whole, was a huge fiasco. Yeah. But you know, oh, actually, I, looking back, I was like, you know, that was probably a good learning experience for Emily because she just had to deal with all these <laughs> uncertainties that had nothing to do with like <laughs> actually doing research. But things that happen, you know. Yeah. So, uh, so that was kind of an interesting thing too. I felt kind of bad, you know, that. Didn't feel bad. <laughs> that you're I like, felt bad for you. I and you're like, like, oh my god, where's this book? I don't know where it is. Like, you know, at, at that point, I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'll pay for it. Yeah. You know, but then it was. I'm it was so over glad there. it turned out yeah. to be still in the library. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it was just because we never got it. It was an interlibrary loan, and mm-hmm. never, I never went to get it. You know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it was it was just kind of a. I was learning. You were learning, and then I had to leave right in the middle of it. And it was just kind of a. It just uh, it is a recipe for disaster, you know. Yeah. It's kind of a, but you know, it stuck with me. That was actually I the did. best part, you know. So yeah, yeah. I wasn't gonna let go. Yeah. I was holding on to those reins. <laughs> I was like, he's gonna come back. We're gonna start again. <laughs> yeah, and then we kind of went a different direction. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that a little bit too. But so you know, you're interested in Arab Spring. That's kind of how you started getting interested in the Middle East mm-hmm. as a kind of a, a focus. Yeah, I think um, every time I went home. People in my hometown like to be like very vocal about politics, um, and sometimes people have like really well read and well informed opinions, and sometimes they don't. Um, but it seems, I mean, nine eleven happened when I was in third grade, so pretty much my entire life, like the biggest foreign policy initiative has been within the Middle East. So it's kind of always been either consciously or subconsciously on my radar, and I had never learned in an academic perspective anything about the Middle East before and it was just really intriguing to me and I think Professor Bowman again did a really great job of introducing us to some of the facts and the history and the literature on the subject Mm -hmm. and um, did a good job of also kind of letting us Explore what we thought on that. Get own. excited, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm assuming that's kind of the, one of the reasons you decided to do international studies because yeah. that also kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it forced you, quote unquote, to do a study abroad and you're yeah. going to Jordan. Was that a pretty, so I can't, is this something, was that like a, some kind of drama with your yes. application? I can't, okay, yeah. There so was. What was it? So I, um, I ended up, um, originally I was going to go to Morocco. Um, because I wanted to study both French and Arabic because I was taking Arabic here and French, and I was like, I'm going to do both languages. Um, In hindsight, that probably was not a great idea. But um, long story short, I ended up applying to the program, and then we had some just like there was a miscommunication about how my credits would transfer, and then I found out some more negative things about the program. And so I was like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? So I came back to campus like the fall before I was supposed to leave. And I was like, I can't go to Morocco anymore. So within 72 hours, I had like picked out and applied to a new program and like was accepted. So that's how I found out about Jordan after talking to mostly Professor Sumala. Um, And then also from talking to Professor Sumala, she was like, you know, the dates are going to line up really well. Like, my trip to Israel is going to end in Jordan the day before your program starts. So, like, you could just come to Israel, too. And I was like, well, if you're offering, I'd love to go. <laughs> <laughs> so then I went to Israel, too. So And I am really happy that I was able to do that as well. So, so it worked out really well. Right? It worked out perfectly. Yeah. yeah. So, how, so how was Jordan? Like, in a sense of, and I'm thinking more not necessarily academically, but, like, as individually, like, for you. Like, what are some of the things that you're not expecting to happen there? 
and some things that like you know kind of maturing and things like that in, in general like, mm-hmm. what are some things that happened there that really changed your perspective yeah so I don't know if this is because I started out in Israel first with a Luther group or um, if it was just because I had like kind of mentally prepared myself. But a lot of times like people prep you for study abroad by telling you that you're going to experience culture shock. And I think because I had known for months that I was going to be going to the Middle East, I was kind of like, of course, it's going to be really different. So I felt like I didn't really experience experiences that much culture shock because I was expecting everything to be different you know so I I didn't really have any moments in Jordan where I was like oh my gosh like this is really like I can't get around this like this is crazy I kind of went into it with a mindset that's like oh yeah people do things differently like just like listen and then like move on and it's gonna be fine and if you need to talk about it I'm sure your professors will talk about it with you but yeah I think um, having the introduction to the region because I had never been abroad before I left. So my first trip abroad was in Israel, which my parents were like, you're nuts. Um, but it, I think because it was with a Luther group and Professor Sumala and Pastor Vasquez did an amazing job of leading the class and having really um, mature and informative discussions and also on the other hand of that, having great speakers come in to kind of stimulate those discussions. Um by the time I was in Jordan, I'd already been overseas for like a month. So by the time my study abroad program started, it was mostly just like getting to know a new group of kids and my host family. And um, yeah, so I think the my study abroad in Jordan is actually kind of what pushed me down a different career path because really until I studied abroad, um, like you mentioned before, I did think that I wanted to be a professor. Um, and then my host mother actually worked for one of um, the U.S. Agency for International Development, USAID's um, biggest contractors um, called IRD. And so she has been working um, with the U.S. government um, in international development for like over 15 years. And she was kind of giving me all of the good and the bad and essentially what she told me is that like you know development's like a field like anything else like it can be done really well and it can be done really badly Mm -hmm. and she said there are programs that I think have done really well in Jordan at the same time I know that the programs that they implemented Jordan would probably not work as well even just like 15 miles away in Palestine um And so she kind of gave me a layout of the map and like some of what some of the successful projects had been and what some of the unsuccessful projects had been and what some of the what Americans had deemed as successful projects and Jordanians had viewed as not as successful and why that was. So we had numerous discussions Mm -hmm. just about what the U.S. was doing within the region. And I was like, wow, if my host mom feels this passionately about this subject, like I really respect her. And if she as a direct recipient of um, the money that the U.S. government is putting into projects um, overseas feels in general like we're doing good work, then that's something that I would want to get involved with in the future. So So was it kind of luck of the draw then that you just got this host mom and it kind of changes uh, Um, some of the career objectives at this point which is which is exactly what, I, what yeah I too, right yeah go there and then we'll talk about going to, yeah know, that's go to exactly school. you were <laughs> like we'll do this later yeah. you're a sophomore it's fine <laughs> but um 
Yeah, I think my my host mother was not the only um, f- was not the only family that um, did international work. There were several other families that had um, members that worked in the UN or that worked for the Jordanian government, which works very closely with the U.S. government and U.S. officials. Um, but she was the only direct contractor for um, a U.S. aid program, so. Yeah, I think I was really lucky to be paired with her. Yeah, so. that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, so you come back and, you know, then we keep working on our research. You know, you, you're doing your own thing, too, because we wrote a lot of stuff on, on the Middle East. Yeah. You know, here, too. But then we're doing research and trying to figure out what you're going to do after you get <laughs> here, right? Yeah. So we're working on research. Uh, you know, my research is on uh, Brazilian politics, and I was looking at the president, Juma Rousseff. So we're doing a lot of media, media analysis of uh, newspaper articles, both in Brazil and the United States. Since uh, uh, Emily, you know, does not speak Portuguese, so <laughs> she did most of the, the the stuff here. So we ended up writing a paper, me, her, and Jordi uh, Berry, and presented at Midwest, and that's when I experienced uh, 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 Emily's, Emily's fickle bones <laughs> uh, over there because we were there hanging out, and then all of a sudden I was supposed to meet, and I go up, and then she's on the ground. I did call you. I let you know. <laughs> That's right, you I was like, me. you didn't find me. I promise <laughs> I was right. not that hopeless. I did call him. That's right. <laughs> because I was getting worried because we were supposed to be downstairs. And he said, I'll be there in five minutes. And it's been 10 minutes and you weren't there. So I get up there and you're like, I think I broke my foot. <laughs> <laughs> and you were like, are you sure? And then we stood up and you were like, oh. Yeah, probably. Maybe, yeah. So it was, it was, oh, a, it was an interesting uh, experience. Um, Thank you for not putting me in a wheelchair, though. I really appreciate that. <laughs> we thought about it. We right? did, but I was like, I that can't. Was this whole discussion, there was two things that like, I think you're really upset about. One was the, the wheelchair. You didn't want to do that. No. And two, I said, maybe you should go home. And I was like, no, I don't want to go home. I want to present this thing, right? So, mm-hmm. and, then, and then, you know, for this for this podcast, maybe I'll post that picture up. You it's should. Like, me, you, and, uh, me, you, and Jordy. Uh, you know, with, with an with, arrow with the to the crutches. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so, yeah. So, we ended up staying. I think those are the two things I was talking to you about. It, just to see how you feel felt and you really was like nope no, no. i was like are you right. kidding this is day two yeah yeah then we got two more days so i'm yeah. gonna make it <laughs> so thanks that, for getting me a hamburger by the yeah, way i appreciate yeah. it and cookies I think and I think cookies. cookies yeah too, you yeah. got me a cookie yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, so yeah we had to go i had to go back to the, to the hotel get the car and thankfully i had the car too so we drove uh, i had the car and we had to uh, you know, call your parents and uh it, again, it was kind of at that point. I knew like whatever ha- would were to happen was going to happen. It was going to be horrible. So I'm actually kind of you know secretly not enjoying it, but like <laughs> reabsorbing everything. And your conversation with your parents, I only saw your side of the conversation, <laughs> but it was pretty funny. Oh right? yeah, <laughs> you know? so uh, it is every time. My mom's like, "Are you kidding me? This happens all the time." <laughs> and that seems like he, he knew what to do. That's the thing. Oh, yeah. You know, you know, yeah, you know. And then we found a place to you know the urgent care to go. So we parked over there. Uh, stayed there for a while and got the cast. Did you have to get a cast? No. No, they just yeah. put it in a brace, which yeah. is really good. Yeah, but you got a cast when you came back, right? Like yeah. A whatever, like a brace or yeah, whatever. A little boot something. thing. Yeah. And when I say cast, what do you mean? Like, you know, the modern stuff, not the. The modern yeah, stuff. Yeah, like not the, the, the white The stuff, stuff that they yeah. have to saw off yeah. your arm. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, so we did that and that was funny. But we got to present the paper and it was actually really well received. I think uh, so, yeah. And, you know, and the cool thing about this paper, too, is that most of the idea came from you, right? I mean, we were doing the research, you know, about about Juma, but uh, we started looking at Wall Street Journal and started looking at the New York Times, and Emily started seeing this pattern with the, the Wall Street Journal really focusing on this other candidate, you know, so we got, were able to explore that a little more. And it was a really good 
uh, uh, you know, really good uh, uh, paper for a conference. We we said that we may work on it later, but that will be like if she goes back to grad school and this is still a topic, <laughs> we'll do this. By that time, the president might not even be in it anymore because she's about to be I know. Oh, my gosh. Maybe. Uh, anybody so. who needs to, some entertainment, you need to watch Brazilian politics. Yeah. yeah. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it's something like that. It's, <laughs> uh, it's, it's a tough it's a tough. Uh, uh, it's tough to be a political scientist about a Brazilianist, you know, that's studied Brazil at this point. But, uh, but yeah, so yeah, so we did this this paper. It was really cool, and then you know, Jordi really helped with the theory, and then you ha- you kind of framed the the idea, and it was, you know, we did some content analysis on it, and I thought that was that was really uh, uh, one of the highlights of 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 my interaction with students at Luther at, at this point. So it was a lot of fun to just kind of see you guys do it, do it all, and then you know to uh, to to play father figure. Yeah. <laughs> Having to, oh my gosh! Having to uh, to uh, to take you to the hospital, you know, to to the urgent care. You know, again, it ended up being everything being fine, but it was it was really at that, at that point it was just a funny experience. I couldn't believe it. I was texting it. my wife. I was like, "Guess where I am?" <laughs> and I was like, "She wouldn't guess." It's like, "I'm at the hospital." <laughs> She's probably mm-hmm. like, "Are you okay?" Yeah. <laughs> Be like, "Oh, I'm fine." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just enjoying it. And uh, then on the way back, we got in the wrong car. You remember that? Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 So I, I'm going to pick him up, and there's another Luther car. It was a Matthew Simpson. Same color. Yeah, same color, but completely different car. And I'm getting there, and I just see I see that the crutches are inside the car. And I was like, why are the crutches inside the car? And then I see Jordi and Emily leaving the car and looking very confused. And then coming to, coming to the right car. So, uh, yeah. It turned out to be Professor Simpson's yeah. car. Yeah, so we didn't uh, know that he was going to be there. <laughs> yeah, we didn't. Know. Or in the same color car, <laughs> <laughs> which also said Luther on the side. Yeah, so. which also said yeah. Luther. So yeah, oh so fun, God. fun stuff, fun experience. That that's for sure. So, uh, but yeah, so that was a lot of fun. You know, that's kind of senior year. Um, so let's talk a little bit about like you know graduating, and then like where you know you you're going to Jordan in you know in a week, and I want to talk a little bit about that too. We have like 15 minutes, I think. Yeah. Okay. So. How did what, what did you decide to do after grad, getting out? You know, have, oh. have, you have the wall of rejections. Oh, the rejection yeah, wall. Yeah. I thought about starting that up again because yeah. it continued. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, I was so determined to have a job. By the time I graduated college, I was like, I'm going to not be that person who's wandering around like a lost soul. Well, I was that person. <laughs> Let's just be real for a minute. Um, so, yeah, I, my entire senior year was just spent applying to job after job after job and we started a rejection wall so every time we heard back um my when I say we I mean my roommates and I um every time we heard back from one of the companies we applied to or one of the grad schools because a lot of times you won't even hear back from them which is even more frustrating than hearing back something that's negative because it makes you feel like you didn't even do anything um we would post the letter on this wall and it was pretty full by the time we graduated (laughs) I felt really proud of us um but and then it was also nice because every time my parents would come, I could show them. I was like, "See, I am applying for jobs. It's not my <laughs> fault that I don't have one yet." <laughs> evidence. Yeah. <laughs> so I ended up meeting when we went down to this conference in Chicago with this guy who runs a nonprofit in Chicago. He's a retired um, Air Force JAG um, general, and um, he started this nonprofit called the World Engagement Institute and I met with him and I started doing some research for him in April right before I graduated and I continued doing doing work for him over the summer um, hoping that it would pan out into a full-time position and um, 
eventually we had kind of reached a point where I was like, I'm just not really sure if this is going to pan out. So I talked to my boss and he was like, you know, he's like, you're young, like, just go out there and do something. And I was like, fine, I will. <laughs> so <laughs> I called up this woman who runs a housing company. She actually um, coordinates the housing for the students who do the Washington semester here. Um, I had met her when I went to a seminar in Washington, D.C. right before I graduated. And I was like, hey, do you know of any apartments that are out there? Like I was trying to get an idea of the rent and like what it would even be like to move out to D.C. Um and um, she was like, actually, we have a spot opening up next Monday if you would like it. So I talked to my parents about it that evening. And within 24 hours, I had signed a lease. And another 72 hours after that, I was in the car driving out to Washington, D.C. It's a long drive. <laughs> um, and so I got out to D.C. Um, fortunately... The first day that I was out there, I met with um, some of the organizers of the conference that I went to um, back in May, and they were like, oh, so you're looking for a job? Like, while you're looking, do you want to intern for us? And I was like, yeah, I want to intern for you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then I, um, that was a part-time internship, and then I ended up working at another part-time job for a while until I was finally offered a full-time internship um, at um, one of USAID's biggest contractors called Ingility. And um, I worked with them for about five months until last week. And um, during my time there, I was hoping that it was going to turn into something like longer. But the way that government contracts go is that it really depends, your job depends on how many contracts the company's pulling in. And I didn't really want to gamble everything, so I had been applying for jobs, and I applied for this position in Jordan, and a couple of weeks before my internship was up, I heard back from them, and it was a yes. So nice. I packed everything up last week and moved back to Beaver Dam for a couple of weeks before I leave next Monday. Nice. That's exciting. Ah, yeah, it's and quite nerve-wracking. something. Um. Not the actual moving part, more like the wrapping up my lease and like getting five shots in one day and like trying to figure out how to pay for my rent ahead of time when I'm in the United States mm -hmm. and my apartment is going to be in Jordan. So, yeah. So what is this job about? Like, is it also development? It is, yeah. yeah. So um, USAID has this program called the Outreach and Communications Program. It's basically like a transparency initiative. They try to inform Jordanians about what USAID is doing in Jordan um, because there's such a big international presence within the um, Jordan. Pretty much every international company, either um, governmental or non-governmental, um, has some sort of office in Jordan because it's one of the only consistently stable countries in the region. And um, the country itself is very pro-United States as well. Um, so USAID has spent a lot of its time just trying to distinguish itself from the other organizations that are going on there because naturally, like, the Jordanians don't always understand, like, the difference between, like, USAID and the U.S. Army. Mm -hmm. Like, those are two very different things, but it doesn't or, always or make sense. Or even NGOs, right? Yeah, yeah or yeah. even NGOs, yeah. So um, the Outreach and Communications Program um, basically conducts, like, a lot of surveys and opinion polls, Um to try and gauge the Jordanian public's perception of what 
um, USAID is doing and how successful they are at doing mm-hmm. their job. And then at the same time, they also um, the program also helps out with um, like organization and implementation and um, advertising for the other programs that USAID has going on within the region. So. The contractor um, is a local organization. Um, it's a PR firm because it's a communications program. And um, because it's a local firm and USAID has to um, publish monthly reports um, to the U.S. government about the work that their program is doing, they need a native English speaker. So my official title is going to be a reporting and evaluation specialist. And so... Essentially, I'm going to be acting as the main point of communication between USAID and my, the contractor, mm-hmm. Al Nasher. And I'm also going to be organizing um, and compiling the data for, for each of the monthly, mm-hmm. quarterly, and annual reports. So, nice. is, is it, so it's a permanent job, or is it like a contract, a year contract? Um, it's contract dependent. So the contract continues for another 12 months, and then there'll be a six-month um, closeout period, um, which is the period... Um, after the program technically ends, but you're trying to wind down mm-hmm. the rest of the project. And so my contract is for 12 months. Um, I have an option to stay an additional six months if I want to. Mm-hmm. However, um, the local contractor that I'll be working for, Al Nasher, has held this contract for almost 10 years. Um, so there's a chance that the contract might receive a no-cost extension, mm-hmm. or they might just decide to rebid on it as well. So if that happens, then I could be there around. for a lot longer yeah. if I'm enjoying it. And nice. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. So here's the, the the uh, and I asked this question to Ben Yerke when I interview him too. It's the interview question. Uh, where do you see yourself in five years? Oh, my gosh. That's a fun question, isn't it? It is. It's a really <laughs> fun question. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so that question has changed so much throughout, like, the last two years. Um, even throughout the last seven months, right? Yeah, even yeah. throughout the last seven months. Yeah. So, like like you said, before I studied abroad, I thought I wanted to be a professor. I still think I do want to teach eventually. I just don't know if that's necessarily what I want to do as an immediate career path. Um and then after I graduated, I was like, I'm going to work for one of USAID's like biggest contractors, and that's what I'm going to do with the ultimate goal of eventually working for USAID itself. Um, and then after my internship, I'm like, you know, I really like implementing programs, um, but I'm not entirely sure a lot of times to be successful in the development field, you have to get kind of specialized. Um, like you have to be like a water specialist. Mm-hmm or an agriculture specialist. And I just, I'm not super passionate about any of the practice areas enough to pursue some sort of graduate degree to become a specialist in that area. Um, So what I really think that I wanna do is um, focus on development, but within the context of breaking down like larger barriers to development, like communication problems, because a lot of times projects aren't as successful as they could be because the implementer and the recipients are not communicating with Mm -hmm. each other effectively legal parameters there's a lot of things that a project could be able to do that may help itself but they don't understand the legal constraints within the country or the region that they're operating within and um legal um, constraints from like a macro perspective as well like a lot of the money from these contracts comes from large organizations outside of governments like the IMF and the World Bank. 
And a lot of times that money comes with a lot of legal stipulations Mm -hmm. that really hinder the progress and the success that 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 those um and how to communicate that also yeah, and how with, to communicate that too yeah. yeah so kind of the bottom line seems to be communication to me which is one of the reasons why i'm really excited to work for on a basically a communications project because i want to see how successful that is so assuming that i still like the communications aspect of it um i've been exploring whether it would be more prudent for me to go to grad school for something like communications or if it would be better for me to try and get like a legal degree Mm -hmm. um to see and i don't know maybe try and help explain some of those you know legal constraints that are just really confusing and super frustrating to both the implementer and the recipients and the donor a lot of times as well so I'm still trying to figure that out, but assuming all goes well, I'll probably be in Jordan for a year or two, and then hopefully when I get back, my grad school application will have kind of written itself, theoretically, <laughs> knock on wood, and then... More accept- acceptances and rejections. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> um, and so hopefully by the time I'm like 24, 25, I'll be in grad school trying to finish that up, so... I think so I still... Five years from now, right? Yeah, so five years from now, now, I'll be finishing grad school, yeah. and will be on to whatever job wants to hire me yeah. with my newly minted graduate degree. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. That's yeah. exciting. All right. It was, it was, I think it's a good time. You got to go to lunch and see people. Got to go to lunch. Yeah. You, know, you got to socialize. She's just here so for a day. And I was yeah. able to, uh, to uh, coax her to come into the studio for an hour so we can talk. That was awesome. Well, thanks for uh, Thanks for, for having me. Yeah. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. Great. And I'll see you all later. Bye. This podcast is a production of KWLC Luther's radio station and me, Pedro Dos Santos. Uh, this podcast uh, episode was edited by me, produced by me, uh, and mixed by me. Uh, so, any of the problems, uh, you can you can tell me about it. Um, see you guys next time when we talk to another exciting person from Luther and or Decorah.